here, so I'm very happy to introduce to you my amazing son, Austin Isbell. So let's give him a hand. Oh, praise, praise the Lord. Here, I'm going to grab this one. Well, good morning, everybody. I got to say, it's really awesome to be back. I've missed home a lot. Um, of course, that's not to say I'm not loving Rama. I mean, I'd say it's the best decision I've ever made. It's an awesome place. <laughs> I think everybody should go at least once. Um, but it's good to see everybody here, and I'm really happy to be able to speak to you all this morning. Uh, well, I guess I'll just jump right into this thing. Um, if everybody would turn to Matthew 13, if you have your Bibles, and you should. Um, you're in church. Now, while you're doing that, I'm going to give you this little illustration I came up with. Um, let's say that you are walking into maybe a museum or maybe an art gallery or something like that. And the first thing you see when you walk into the big, you know, the big room at the front is an exhibit. And on this exhibit, it's, it's on like maybe a maybe a platform or a pedestal of, of some kind. What do you assume about that exhibit? It's special. It's important. You assume that what you're going to see throughout the rest of the museum somehow relates to what's on this big exhibit, because it's the one right at the front, you know. It's the one everyone sees first. All right. Have you found Matthew 13 yet? All right. I just want to read you this passage. It's a famous passage. Uh, It says, I'm going to read starting in verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced good fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. And then jumping over to verse 18 gives the explanation for that. It says, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns... This is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who do, understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. Now my my takeaway from that is is a little interesting. My And it relates to my title. My title this morning is The Power of Pedestals. And my takeaway from this passage is 
the one who is like the word sown along the path, they're someone who doesn't put the word on a pedestal when they hear it. They don't treat the word as important. And the one sown on the rocky ground is a person who doesn't keep the word on a pedestal. They may put it up there for a little while, but they don't keep it up there. Over time, they replace it with other things. And the person who's like the thorns, they're the person who never puts the word on a pedestal at all. They put other things on the pedestal. It says the, uh, it says the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this age choke the word out. And then you have the people that are like the good ground. They're the ones that put the word up on a pedestal, keep it there, treat it as more important than everything else, and they're the ones that produce the fruit in their lives by yielding to the word. Some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. The point is, in looking at this passage and in thinking about the concepts in general, it seems to me that the things you put on a pedestal are more powerful to you than things that aren't. See, because you yourself have the power to make things more influential in your life, things more important. You get to choose what you treat as special. See, if you were to go to somebody's house for the first time, friend's house, um, and you walk, and when, when you walk in the door, you immediately notice above the mantle on the fireplace this big display case. But, you know, they don't go to the display case first. They, they take you to the kitchen. Here's the kitchen. Um, over here's the bedroom. Here's where the kids play. Here's the backyard. And then you come back to the living room. And they walk over to the mantle. And they're like, oh, this is the best part. Look at this. Up in this d- display case... Here's my depression. Look at this, man. This is awesome. Here's my, here's my financial struggles. Check it out. What would you do in that situation? See, personally, I think that's, I would think, wow, that's really sad. I gotta, what can I do to help this person, you know? Because they've glorified their problems and put them on display for everyone else. They're, they're esteeming their problems, their issues, higher than what the Word says about them. And again, it's us that have the power to do that. It's us that have the power to make really whatever we want more influential in our lives. So don't glorify your problems and claim, their, claim them as your own. You have to change your thinking. If everyone would turn to 1 Samuel 17, here's another famous passage. I, I tried to use the, the well-known passages this morning. I wanted to keep it a little simple. 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. I'm only going to read a, a few verses here just so you get the general idea. Um, I mean, you all know the story. So you've got the Israelites on one hill and the, uh, the Philistines on the other hill. And you know, David, he's come out, or not David, sorry, Goliath. Goliath has come out. He's this 
probably nine foot tall guy. His spear weighs like 400 pounds. His shield bearer can hardly hold up his shield. I mean, this dude is, this dude is packing. This dude is massive. And he's, he comes out, he starts mocking the Israelites and mocking God. And it says in uh, verse 10, Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. So in verse 11, it says, Then Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine. They lost their courage and were terrified. Now, I've got this, this cute little visual aid for you. Here's my pedestals. Now, this right here represents anything that's not the Word or God or Jesus. So Saul and the Israelites, they put Goliath up on this pedestal. Now you're talking about, we're talking about the same Israelites who have a heritage of God always rescuing them. I mean, we're talking about the people who worship the God who created the earth, who split the Red Sea, who literally rained down fire from heaven at like three separate times. I mean, we're talking about God, you know? But in their eyes, Goliath, he's just too big, you know? They put him on a pedestal. And then jumping over to verse 32, at this point, David has come to the camp to give his brother some food, I think. And he sees Goliath out there. And, you know, David, David's a teenager at this point. I, I believe he's like 17. You know, he's scrappy. He's ready to go. He's like, oh, my gosh, what are you guys doing? Let's go fight this guy. He's mocking our God. He's mocking us. He's like, why are you guys just sitting around? And um, in verse 32... It says, David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Jumping over to verse 33, it says, but Saul replied, but Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth and he's been a warrior since he was young. See, Saul still had Goliath on the pedestal. God was nowhere to be found in Saul's eyes. And here, here's just a side note. Saul was, Saul was trying to drag David down too. Never let people drag you down by what they think is more important than God. Only you have the power to change your opinion. Anyway. So David sort of David sort of explains to Saul a little bit of, over the next few verses, sort of his background, different things like that. And then in verse 37, it says, Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David immediately puts God on his pedestal where he belongs. And you all know the story. He went down in that valley, faced Goliath, and defeated this, this mountain of a man, all because he esteemed God higher than that. I think um, a New Testament example would be Peter walking on the water. Um, and that, it's on here. Yeah, Matthew 14 is where the story is found. When they were in the boat during the storm, and they saw Jesus walking on the water towards them, 
And Jesus said, if you believe it's me, then come out of the boat. And Peter jumped out of the boat and he walked on the water. And, and as he was going towards Jesus, he had his eyes on Jesus. He was walking on the water. It, a literal miracle is happening at that moment. But then he looked around him. He took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm around him. And he sank like a rock. And then, of course, Jesus, being understanding and merciful that he is, helped him back up. But the point is, he took his eyes off Jesus. He put the storm on the pedestal. He put the storm higher than God. And the thing about it is, see, this concept of putting things on pedestals, it doesn't just apply to storms. It doesn't just apply to problems. Everybody turn to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 16, starting there. This is another well-known passage. It says, Just then someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked him. Jesus answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, Go sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So this concept doesn't just apply to my depression, my financial struggles, my iniquities. You can put just about anything on a pedestal, really. You can put your wealth or the pursuit of wealth. You can put relationships. You can put just about any material thing you can think of. You can put anything before God. And then that thing automatically comes, becomes more important to you and becomes more influential to you than God. Romans one twenty one says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Now that's a sobering reminder that we can pretty much put anything in our lives ahead of God. See, we, we all could do this in a heartbeat, in an instant. I, I'm not going to lie, sometimes it's tough to keep God on your pedestal. But we can all do it. It's not impossible. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.17 says, So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, I see a lot of people... It's, it, it, it's funny to me. People almost are proud of their problems, you know? Have you ever met somebody like that? They're, they're proud to be in poverty, you know? They're, they're proud to have that chronic sickness. Like, it, it's... I can't wrap my head around it. It's, it's strange, but, but it says right here, boast in the Lord, nothing else. Boast that 
you know God, and God is your redeemer and your healer. And God gives righteousness. And God saved you, and God loves you. When I, uh, when I first moved out to Tulsa for my first year of Ramah, it was, um, it was a big shock to me um, emotionally. Um, I dealt with a lot of things, loneliness. Um, I'm not that good at making friends quickly. And school hadn't started at that point, so I really didn't have any opportunities to see people um, other than an hour, a few hours a week at church. Um, but I, I put the wrong thing on a pedestal there for a while. I was, uh, alongside that, I was struggling with money because I didn't have a paycheck for like a month. Um, but, but that affected me. See, I, I, for a while there, I put the wrong things on the pedestal and I became frustrated. And for a while there, I was teetering on the verge of depression. But, you know, <laughs> praise God, I learned some things and it got better. And now I can't complain. And anyway, I, I love the place. I love the place. I'm learning new things every day. Anyway, another aspect of pedestals, and this kind of goes along with the display case thing. See, pedestals define you. Pedestals define who you are to other people. See, when, in that theoretical situation where you walked into the person's house, what was the first thing you saw? The display case. The first thing you look at when you walked into the house was the display case. And whatever's in that display case is how you'll be defined to that person forever, unless you change it. Do you want to be known as my? Do you want to be known as my struggling friend over here, or do you want to be known as, man, he's a child of God? Let the first thing people see when they walk into your lives be you glorifying God in some way or another. And that brings me to my other point. Um, Your biggest pedestal belongs to God. And I would ask you this one simple question. What guides your life? What are you allowing to influence your life? See, because your your problems, your iniquities, your struggles, they they don't belong in a display case. They don't belong in your house at all. They don't belong in the closet. They don't belong under the bed. Because as long as they're anywhere within your life, they will have some kind of hold on you. They'll be tugging on you in just the tiniest of ways. But the thing is, you don't have to have that. You can be free from that. It says so in the Word. They, they, belong, they belong out the door, down the road, in the dumpster. Now, Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 says, From the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is filled with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, this one is more of a semantics issue and sort of a personal opinion that I have, but 
I believe that it matters not only what you say, but how you say it. Um, and you can take that or leave it. But just personally, I try to avoid saying things like, um, if theoretically I were dealing with financial struggles, I I'd personally try to avoid saying things like, yeah, that's my financial struggles, or yeah, I've been dealing with my depression. Because you're taking a claim to that. You're giving it a, you're giving it a place in your life by saying, oh, that's mine. So you're taking it and you're holding on to it. You're, you're treasuring it almost. So I, I just try to avoid saying that because um, I believe that it matters how you say things. Because the Bible says that what you say will come, to, come into fruition some way or another. Now the Bible is full to bursting with examples of people who put God on their pedestal. When I, when I began researching this subject, um, I realized that it's way, way broader than I originally thought it was. See, this concept of putting things on pedestals, it could almost be applied to just about anything. Like I said, you can put pretty much anything ahead of God. You could put your success ahead of God. You could put yourself ahead of God. My needs come first, God. Sorry. But the Bible... The Bible is full to bursting with examples. Um, and I made a list of the major ones. But if you look in the Bible, almost every story I found involved someone putting something ahead of God or vice versa. And the outcome was affected by whatever they had on their highest pedestal. Um, some examples. Noah, when he was told to do something crazy, kept God on his pedestal in Genesis 6. Abraham, when he was called to leave his land and his family, kept God on his pedestal in Genesis 12. Joseph, when he was mistreated and forgotten, never took God off of his pedestal, Genesis 37 through 41. Moses, when he and the Israelites were pursued by the Egyptians, then wandering without a plan, never took God off their pedestal. That's found in the book of Exodus. Joshua, when he was given the immense task of leading the Israelites and conquering the mighty city of Jericho, never took God off of his pedestal. And that's found in the book of Joshua. Gideon, when God told him that he would save the Israelites, took his iniquities and inferiority off of his pedestal and replaced it with God, afterwards defeating the Midianites. Hannah, when she was barren and depressed, put God on her pedestal, and she was given a son whose name was Samuel. Samuel himself, when he was growing up in Eli's dysfunctional and godless household, kept God on his pedestal. Esther, facing persecution and possibility of death, kept God on her pedestal and saved her people. Daniel, when his world was turned upside down and people had it out for him, kept God on his pedestal and was delivered. The three Israelite boys, when threatened with execution, never took God off their pedestal and were saved. Mary, when she told she was to birth Jesus, put aside the impossibility, put God on her pedestal, and bore our Savior. And then, of course, there are the many, many examples found in the Gospels. They, the Gospels 
um, in particular are full of these examples. Um, then we have Paul, when he was beaten, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, then snake bit, never stopped trusting in and glorifying God. And then finally, John, the Apostle John, after he was tortured, um, exiled, he literally died once, but they brought him back to life. <laughs> uh, trust in God, and he ended up giving us the book of Revelation. See, these are just the major examples in the Bible of people who, who took the negative off of their pedestal, and they replaced it with what God had said. And by putting God on their highest pedestal where he belonged, all of them, each and every one of them, succeeded. And that... And that speaks to me. All because they just took this off their pedestal. And then, of course, there are many, many examples of people who did this. I could list them, but I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. But you get the idea. And their outcome showed it. So let me do this. Um, everybody, everybody make two fists for me. Just, just play along real quick. Make two fists. Now, now look at this, uh, this screen. Let's just pretend for a second that this screen is like God. Uh, now, everybody put those fists in front of your eyes like this. Now, look at this screen. Now, now, keep your fist in front of your eyes. Now look at this screen. You can't see it, right? You're good. You, but you, you couldn't see the screen, right? So that must mean that your fists are so much bigger than the screen, right? No, your fists aren't bigger than the screen. So why couldn't you see it? because your fists were taking up your entire vision. It's because you had your fists in front of your eyes. These fists represent this right here, everything but God. It's all about your perspective. It's all about what you choose to look at. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the difference between night and day. See, the reason we have nighttime is because when the earth rotates, the earth gets in between us and the sun. And when it's dark outside, man, you can't see anything. It gets a little colder. It's dangerous at night. But man, when that sun comes over the horizon, it gets warm outside. It's, it's a beautiful thing when you see a sunrise. You just, you just get kind of a little happy feeling inside of you when you see that sunrise. Well, it's the same thing with our pedestals. You can't see God. You can't see God when you've got this in front of your face. So I think, I think it's about time we start making our sunrises. Keep God on your pedestal, folks. It's, it's Christmas. We're in the Christmas season. I know things get busy, and that's cliche, but it happens. Um, you know, with the busyness, and you're thinking, how am I going to pay for all these Christmas presents? Or how am I going to get to get to grandma's house this year. We live so far away. Or, or get this one. Ugh, he's coming. 
Does he have to come again this year? See, you're putting that on a pedestal. You're putting an inability to pay for presents up on this pedestal. When really, I guess we all have to remember the, uh, the reason for the season, I guess, you know. Because the reason for the season is we celebrate Christ. We celebrate Jesus coming and saving us. Christmas is all about putting God on the pedestal, putting Jesus on the pedestal, because he saved us. He saved us from literally hell. He saved us. He redeemed us. And now that he has come and left his Holy Spirit here, now he guides us, he protects us, he sends his angels to watch over us. We can pray to him whenever we want. We can speak things in his name and get results. We can be healed. We can be protected. The reason for the season is to celebrate this. That's the message I wanted to get across to you guys this morning. Now, now when I sit down, right, right over there in that seat, like a normal person, your, every, your everyday average dude, what are you guys going to be thinking about? Oh, good job, Austin. You did so great, Austin. We're proud of you, Austin. You've learned so much at Rama. Our little guy is all grown up. I didn't come all this way and go through a year and a half of Rama to show you guys what a good preacher I am. No, I came all this way and spent two weeks preparing this message because I wanted to get a word in your heart this morning. Don't be the rocky ground. Don't receive this word with joy and then later forget all about it. Don't have Monday morning syndrome. Keep this word on your pedestal. And just like, just like that art gallery, it's going to set the mood for the rest of your trip. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for giving me this amazing opportunity this morning. I thank you for each and every person in this room. God, I'm just so happy and glad that they're here, they're on this earth, they're serving you, they're in your will. Father, I thank you for your word that you gave us. Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending him. Father, this Christmas season, let us just keep it on our hearts, keep it in our minds that, that Jesus is what it's all about. Help us to keep the right thing on our pedestal, Father. Glorify your name forever and ever. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now my dad told me. Now my dad told me I could close it out, so I will. Um, now if you're in here and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, you haven't been born again as we say, well, you, you can't put him on a pedestal. And if you're in here and that's you and you're saying, wow, I... I guess I do need to accept Jesus. Well, come find me. Come find me or my dad and we'll pray for you. I would, I would love to. That's, 
that's the reason we're all still here is to, is to get people born again and saved and living the life that Jesus wants for them. So just come find us afterwards. And uh, lastly, I just want to thank my parents again. Uh, everybody get a, give it up for them. Like, they've, got a pretty, they've got a pretty sweet church. They've got a pretty sweet church going on here. I, I love it. Um, 